0: Good morning. Welcome to another Sunday morning service at the Winkler Burkteller Church. We will open in song today with song number three twenty five, A Mighty Fortress is our God.
1: Good morning, you all. Welcome and God's blessings to each one of you here at the winkler Tower Church, as well as each one, that we'll be, each one that we'll be watching later. For our call to worship, let us read Psalm 51, verses 10 to 15. I believe most of us have heard or read this passage numerous times I feel I need to renew these words that David wrote Psalm 51 verses 10 to 15 create in me a pure heart O God and renew a steadfast spirit within me do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips And my mouth will declare your praise. I ask that you join me in prayer. Dear Lord, loving God, we we praise you for letting us come to you because of your love and grace. Lead each one of us as we listen to your word and through song through the reading of your word, and through the listening of your message from Pastor Victor Engbrecht. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to ask Mark Elias and Marilyn Penner to lead us just to pass on. Our message this morning will be on screen. Pastor Victor Called to let know that he had connected with a person with COVID, although he has no symptoms. Uh, his message will be on screen. Go ahead.
0: So the next song we we'll sing today will be number five five five. Would you be free? This song is about the blood of Jesus. And a week ago in our Bible study, we were studying Romans three. And in Romans 3, starting in verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. We are not redeemed just by the death of Jesus, but by the blood of Jesus, which he shed for us. Let's sing. Will you please rise? Thank you. Our third song today is song number 167, When I Survey. And I don't know why, but I find when I read the lyrics to myself, they really jump out at me. And they're really powerful. Verse 1, for example, says, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Verse 2 goes on and says, Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice to his blood. It, um, it reminds me that very often my priorities are focused too much on these things that I want to be sacrificing. And um, it's good to continually give them up unto the Lord For he is the one who is worthy of our praise and our consideration. Let's sing all four verses.
1: Thank you. That was worth singing. Um, We'll take a brief look at our announcements. First of all, there will be no men's Sunday school this morning as a result of Pastor Victor not being able to be here in person, although he will have the message. Tuesday, there will be the women's prayer group in the morning and the church council in the evening. Um, And there'll be a ministerial meeting on Wednesday. Thursday, Friday evenings from 7 till 10, and then also all day Sunday, or Saturday, I should say, from 9 till 4 will be the church planning sessions that has been planned for some time. So those of you who have registered, great. Uh, our missionaries of the week are Preston and Myra Wheeler. And a couple of notes of thanks. Thanks for your prayers for Jake as he is again undergoing chemo treatments. We appreciate your love and concern. Please continue to pray for healing. Jake and Judy Unra. And thank you all for your prayers for Nick during his hospital stay and during his procedures at the St. Boniface Hospital. We are so grateful to God for intervening miraculously, Nick and Tina Friesen. Um, there's a couple of expressions of sympathy. One is in the bullet and one is not. Jay Clausen of Winnipeg passed away Saturday, January 15th, and his funeral was held on Friday. He was a brother to Ella Neufeldt. William Elias passed away. He was a brother to Mary Sawatsky. Pray that you would pray for people that are mourning and also take a note of the birthdays. Um, I'll let you read the other bulletins. There is a Pemina Valley Camp family days today and another one on February 6th. Please join me again as we, as we pray. We thank you, Lord, for hearing and accepting our prayers. We thank you that we have a place of shelter and comfort where we can gather. We pray that you will lead each and every event, event that will be taking place. be also with each Sunday school class later today and each meeting taking place during the week, including the church planning sessions Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We pray for you to continue to direct Preston and Myra Wheeler in their missionary work. We thank you for providing your wellness in the life of Nick Friesen. We pray for your healing help according to your will for Jake Unra, for Jim Brown, for Olga Friesen, and for the Abe Suderman, and every other individual experiencing health needs. We thank you for the birthday celebrations of Brad Funk and Alfred Dick, John Lepke, Isaac Dick, and every other person that's celebrating a birthday or anniversary. Lord, we pray for your comforting grace on each person dealing with the loss of the life of Jake Lawson, William Elias, or any other loss. Thank you for leading each of us as we Listen to your message from Pastor Victor Engbrecht. We pray and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 13, starting with 24 through 24 to 36, 30, and then from 36 to 43, starting from 24. Jesus told another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seeds in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good wheat seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them up in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And now 36 to 43. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned into to, and bundled in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin, And all who do evil, they will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has an ear, let him hear. Thus far the reading of God's word.
3: Good morning, Winkler Berchtoller. We hadn't expected to meet like this, but uh, this week this will have to do. So I hope this works out for you. At the outset of Jesus' ministry, he proclaimed, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What exactly does that mean? I began to think about the kingdom of heaven and remembered that Jesus told a number of parables that start with, The kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of heaven is compared to. So what did he mean when he said, the kingdom of heaven is like? We often think of the kingdom of heaven as being foreign to this world. From the Bible, we learn that as believers, we are in the world, but not of the world. We have come to think of the kingdom of heaven as being out of this world. The kingdom of heaven must be in heaven, not on earth. So I expected to get some answers in this study of the parables that talk about it. That is our journey this morning. Most of Matthew chapter 13 is about what the kingdom of heaven is like. There are seven parables in Matthew 13 that are offered as examples of how to think about the kingdom of heaven. Outside of Matthew 13, there are five more parables that tell us what the kingdom of heaven is like, all of them in Matthew. The references for all of them are on the back of your bulletin. Now Mark and Luke also uh, teach about the kingdom of heaven, but use a different term, they say the kingdom of God. They probably have more to add, but I decided to focus on what we could learn from Matthew's gospel about the Kingdom of Heaven. I will not present you with a nice, tidy, packaged conclusion at the end of this message, but about a dozen images of what the Kingdom of Heaven is like. Together they will help shape our idea of the Kingdom of Heaven and hopefully encourage us to think a little more deeply and live accordingly. As I said... Matthew chapter 13 is mostly about what the kingdom of heaven is like. It opens with Jesus telling the parable of the sower and the parable of the weeds to the crowds on the shore. Between those two parables, the disciples asked Jesus why he spoke to the crowds in parables. Jesus turned to his disciples for a private conversation and explained what he was doing. And then he interpreted the parable of the sower for them. Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 to 23 is that conversation. And I'll read it for us. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven but to them it has not been given for the one who has sorry for to the one who has more will be given and he will have an abundance but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away this is why i speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear nor do they understand Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, closed. lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it, to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Speaking in parables is a way of teaching people who are open to the gospel, while at the same time those who are not really open to the gospel also hear it, but they don't catch on to its meaning or how it applies to them. The prophecy that was being fulfilled here is found in Isaiah chapter 6. I would encourage you to read that when you get home. One advantage of speaking in parables is that Jesus could not be accused of having a hidden agenda. Everything was out in the open. Those with ears to hear could hear, and the rest did not. After that explanation uh, that Jesus gave his disciples... Sorry. After that, Jesus gave his disciples the interpretation of the parable of the sower. And I expect that he was trying to teach his disciples... How to interpret. After this conversation with the disciples, it seems Jesus turned back to the crowds on the shore and he told them three more parables the parable of the weeds, the parable of the mustard seed, and the parable of the leaven. All of them are about the kingdom of heaven. Then in verse 34, it says, All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. That prophecy comes from Psalm 78. So at least two prophecies were fulfilled as Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables. In the following verse, verse 36, the scene changes. Then he left the crowds, and he went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. It seems they were hungry to know how to interpret properly. I wish Jesus would have explained more of them, but he's given us enough to start thinking. Now that the crowds were not there, Jesus had the disciples all to himself. He explained the parable of the weeds, like they asked, and then told them four more parables. Again, all of them were about the kingdom of heaven. So what is in these parables? What is it about the kingdom of heaven that Jesus wanted his disciples to know? That's what we want to find out. So let's dig in and see. We'll start with the first parable that John read for us in this morning's scripture reading. The parable of the weeds beginning at Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Now this parable says a whole bunch of things and gives us a lot to think about. But what is it teaching about the kingdom of heaven specifically? Here are some of my thoughts. The kingdom of heaven seems like a messy place. It looks like the devil has access. The sons of the evil one are put next to the sons of the kingdom. And then they grow together. Is this what the kingdom of heaven is? It seems to me that it's saying that the kingdom of heaven isn't a faraway place. It's right here. It exists among the followers of Jesus. And a few minutes ago, I suggested that we generally think of the kingdom of heaven as being foreign to this world. We tend to think of heaven as being apart from earth. But did you notice verse 41? This is fascinating. It says that the angels will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. That tells me that the foreign presence here is not the kingdom of heaven. It's not the kingdom of heaven that's out of place. The foreign presence here is everything that does not belong to the kingdom of heaven. As believers, we're on home turf. Wherever believers are, there the kingdom of God is. Whatever evil was introduced to God's perfect creation, it will be plucked out, and destroyed, eventually. Let's look at the next parable, verse 31. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. This tells me that if we sow the seeds of the kingdom of heaven, it will grow larger than all others and become a place of refuge. The parable of the leaven. He told them in another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour Till, all, till it was all leavened. Well, if the kingdom of heaven is like the leaven, then the activity of the leaven is the focus. Leaven is like yeast that causes the dough to rise. It is the kingdom of heaven in the world that keeps working until it reaches the whole world. Remember John's vision in Revelation chapter 7. He saw a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. The kingdom of heaven is the leaven that will reach the whole world with the gospel. Verse 44 The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field well if the kingdom of heaven is the treasure it is of greater value than all worldly wealth it is worth all that a man has it is sorry it is worth all that a man has to give to get it. The next one may appear to be similar, but there is a little difference. Verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. This might be interpreted in several ways. But as I see it, the merchant of the kingdom of heaven has given all to purchase a pearl of great value. If Jesus is the merchant, the church is the pearl of great value for which he laid down his life, purchasing it with his blood. Verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore, and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out, and separate the evil from the righteous, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This one is interesting. If the net was the world, it would include all people. But a net does not catch all the fish in the sea. I think the net represents the church. Those who claim to belong to the assembly of believers but are not, whose faith is false, will be separated from the righteous and tossed into the furnace. Now, after Jesus had spoken all these parables, he asked them a question. Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Based on their yes to this question, Jesus likened the disciples to the scribes who were trained in the law, because they too had been trained under his teaching. He instructed them, like a master of the house, for all those in the house, to bring out the treasures of their teaching, their new understandings, along with the old truths of Scripture. The command is for the disciples, and for all who, likewise, are trained. A good reason for every one of us to be a student of the Word. Now I know we're moving kind of fast through all of these, but stay with me. We're moving out of chapter 13 now, and we're going to go look at the other five parables that talk about the kingdom of heaven. In chapter 18 at verse 21 is where Peter asked how many times he should forgive the brother who sins against him. You might remember that his answer was not seven times, but 77 times, to which Jesus uh, responded with the parable of the unforgiving servant. In that parable, a servant owes his master a lot of money, but the servant begs, promising to repay, and the master, being merciful, completely forgave the man's debt. Then he found a fellow servant, who owed him a few bucks. The fellow servant also begged for mercy, but he had him thrown into prison until the debt was paid. Well, this news got back to the master, and guess what? The master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should repay all his debt. So also my Heavenly Father will do to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. My take on this one is pretty simple. If I do not forgive, I will not be forgiven. Therefore, I should forgive. Next, in Matthew 20, verses 1-16, to we find the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Here the master of the house goes out early in the morning to hire laborers for the day. They agree on a wage of a denarius for the day and start working. At the third, sixth, and ninth hours of the day, the master goes out again looking for more workers. And at the eleventh hour went out one more time to look for workers. At the end of the day, he instructed his foreman to call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with those hired last. He gave those hired last a denarius, and so he did for all the workers, including those who had worked all day. Of course, they complained. But the master of the house said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. To me, this speaks to human pride. If I expect a certain recognition in the kingdom of heaven because of anything I have done, then there is none. Recognition is turned on its head and given to the lowly. But it also says to me something else, that all who come into the kingdom of God receive the same inheritance, eternal life. God does not distinguish distinguish between those who live their whole lives for Christ and those who turn to him at the end like the thief on the cross eternal life for all who believe In Matthew 22 at verse 1 is the parable of the wedding feast This is the one where a king gives a wedding feast for his son and he sends his servants to call the guests to the banquet but they are all too busy. Some of the intended guests took the king's servants and killed them. So the king sent out his troops to destroy them, destroy those who killed his servants. Then he sent out his servants to the roads to find people to fill his wedding hall with guests. When the king looked at the guests, there was one there with no wedding garment. Him they bound and threw into outer darkness. Jesus concluded the parable by saying, For many are called, but few are chosen. This tells me that the invitation to the kingdom of heaven goes out to many people. Few respond, and few are chosen. Those who are not chosen have no place in the kingdom of heaven. It is a warning not to ignore the invitation to the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 25, at verse 1, we have the parable of the ten virgins. In this parable, the virgins are preparing to meet the bridegroom. Five were wise and brought extra oil with them. Five were foolish and did not. The bridegroom was delayed, and they fell asleep. Suddenly, The bridegroom was announced. The virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps, but the foolish virgins were running out of oil and wanted to buy some from the wise. They said there wouldn't be enough for them all. They should go elsewhere and buy some. In the meantime, the bridegroom showed up, and the five wise virgins accompanied him into the marriage feast. And then the door was shut. Afterward the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The simple message of this parable is to be wise and be ready for the arrival of the bridegroom. If not, you will be left out. The last parable that we'll look at is the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 at verse 14. This one tells of a man who went on a journey and entrusted his property to his servants. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and another one talent. After a long time he came back and wanted to settle accounts. The one he gave five talents had doubled it to ten. The one he gave two talents doubled it to four. To each of them the master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one he had given one talent had buried it in the ground, returning only the one talent, fearing the high expectations of his master. The master answered him You wicked and slothful servant you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not where I have scattered no seed Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was mine with interest So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents for to everyone who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast that worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. To me this says, serve the master with what he gives you. If you do not, you will lose what you have. If you do, you will have plenty. If I do not exercise my gift of faith, I will lose faith. If I do not invest what God has given me to make it grow, I will lose it, whether it is knowledge, insight, gifts of service, or the gift of faith. When you put all these together, you end up with what sounds like wisdom literature a series of truths and principles about the kingdom of heaven that act as kind of a moral code. And morality asks the question, how should we live? So what does all this mean? How can I take it with me? On a personal level, it means that the kingdom of heaven is of greater value than everything else a man can own. It is worth everything I can give to have it. It means if I serve the Master with whatever he has given me, I will have plenty. It means if I expect recognition, there is none. Yet at the same time, all who believe receive the same inheritance eternal life. It means if I do not forgive, I will not be forgiven. And it means we must be wise and be ready for the day when Jesus comes. What does this teaching on the kingdom of heaven mean for the church? It means that Jesus so values the church that he gave his life for her. As a body of believers, we are highly valued and treasured. It means that we who are are disciples of Christ must share the treasures of the teaching we have received both our new understanding and the old truths of Scripture. And that is why it is good for everyone to be a student of the Word. It means that the kingdom of heaven is not intended to be isolated from the world. It is intended to be in the world, being the leaven that permeates the world with the gospel. It means if we sow the seeds of the kingdom of heaven, it will grow larger than all others and be a place of refuge. Wherever believers go, among the peoples of earth, there is the kingdom of heaven. It is through us that God wants to sow the seeds of the kingdom, and it is through us that God wants to reach the whole world. These parables also tell us that there will be nothing left in the kingdom of heaven that does not belong there. False sheep, bad fish, and sly men will all be expelled. The weeds will be gathered and bound and thrown into the fire. Though the invitation to repent has gone out to the whole world, only the chosen will remain in the kingdom of heaven. The first message Jesus preached was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that meaning is a little clearer to me now than it was last week. Let me give you a challenge. With the references on the back of your bulletin, read all those parables. Maybe one a day. Read them, think about them, and then write down what they mean to you about the kingdom of heaven, or anything else they might say to you. Jesus didn't give us interpretations for all the parables because he wants us to think about them, to think about their meaning. I have shared with you how I see it. How do you see it? If the Spirit reveals something to you that I missed, share it with someone. And let's grow our knowledge and understanding of the kingdom of heaven.
0: If you'd like a copy of this message or any other, just let me know,
3: and I'll get it to you.
0: Our closing song will be song number 300, Be Thou My Vision. We will sing verses 1, 2, 3, and 5, leaving out verse 4. And let us uh, stand to sing. And when we're finished, then we'll sit down and we'll be dismissed.
3: pray with me. Our Father in heaven, thank you for sharing with us your thoughts on the kingdom of heaven. You have given us much to ponder as we try to sort out how to live out our faith in many different situations. Help us to take time to think about these parables and to apply them to our lives. Thank you that you love us and thank you that you teach us. And now this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and
4: give you peace. Amen. I wish you a good day.